Our scripture today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice, according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon. Simon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, guided by the Spirit, that he would not see the death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Simon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what, what was customary under the law, Simon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is des des destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was, a, she was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child who all were looking for, the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. My friends, good morning. It's good to be with you in worship. And for those of you who are streaming or will watch this later, it is certainly a joy to be in worship on the Lord's Day in this space with you. Um, I, I don't know if you were here last Sunday. I was not. Uh, I went to, on a, a conference in Fort Worth, and I got back Thursday, and then Friday I fell pretty ill and have been on my back most of the days of the of last week. And I was thankful that Reverend Wortman was already preaching, but, uh, but I'm also grateful for the fact that we have such a helpful, collegial, and talented staff who could take up so much on short notice. I was scheduled to do a baptism that, that morning. Sarah Brasington did the baptism. We were to have a starting point luncheon after church. Reverend Stone took that on, even received some new members. So I just want you to hear from me that I think these people all are quality and wonderful people to serve you. And could you give them a little bit of appreciation right now? Thank you. A couple, couple words uh, to help you understand how the sermon's going to go. I intend to sing in the sermon quite a bit. As you can hear, I don't have my singing voice. This is a sing-along. So if you know the song I'm singing, I would like for you to sing with me. Do you think that's going to happen today, or are you just going to ignore it? That's what I thought, too. So to forgive you, I'd rather go to God in prayer and seek forgiveness. Let's pray. 
Creator God, we are thankful for the life that you have given us, and we confess that we haven't always handled that gift well. We've been unwise and wayward, but it is the shape of our faith and the confession of our lips and hearts that while humanity walked away from you, you sent your son Christ into the world to reconcile us unto yourself, to cultivate in our hearts a desire for the kingdom and not of the ways of the world. And so, God, we say thank you. We also believe and confess that you sent your Holy Spirit as a comforter, a guide, and friend. God, send your spirit now for you, and I know that without you, I can do nothing. We ask that your spirit use this story and these words to continue to make us a community of care after your own heart. It is in the matchless name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray, and God's people together say, Amen. Sometimes you just have to sing. Sometimes a song comes out of us and there's nothing else we can do about it. We just have to sing. I have been here a little over six years on staff. I've been the senior minister a little over four, which means there was this one strange period in my tenure here where I was asked to be the interim for a time, which was hard. Carrying those responsibilities is hard. Having a family is hard. Ministry is hard. Transitions are hard. And it was the very first week of this time that our country witnessed the tragedy in Charleston at a church called Mother Emanuel AME. Somebody went in and out of hate killed other people, racially motivated. Our regional minister called me up. She's an African-American gal, her name's Denise, and she worked with some local Atlanta civil rights leaders. And they said, Denise, do you know of a historic church in Atlanta, somewhere downtown Midtown, that, that has been predominantly white in its history? She said, I sure do. Denise called me up and said, Jared, I'd like for you to hold an interfaith prayer vigil for the city. And I said, Denise, I don't think that's a great idea. I've got a lot going on right now. <laughs> and she said, I need you, Jared. And through the persuasion of Reverend Bell and the Holy Spirit, we hosted the city that, that week. And for me, it's one of the most important moments of this church's history. The sanctuary was busting full, more people here than on Easter. We had rabbis and priests and pastors speak a word of encouragement to a city that was hurting, but also offer prayers. And other clergy came too, and they, they sat in the first few rows in, in their clerical garb. Some wore collars and some wore robes, and a Sikh man was identifiable, and there were imams and people from everywhere with the same feeling of terror, of being afraid, and heartbroken, wondering how do we get here? And so after all the words we heard and shared together, we just had to sing. Reverend Bell pulls all the ministers from all over the place and from every tradition, invites us up here on the chancel, and we crossed arms and held hands like they did in the civil rights era. And we sang an old protest song that has found its way into hymnals. We shall overcome. There was no word that was going to help. The vocation of our words didn't reach deep enough to be a salve on the pain 
we had instead to sing. Human singing can emerge from and represent many things. Singing can be a sign of our protest. It can be a sign of our joy and celebration. It can even describe our community or our sense of belonging. Concerning that, I remember my very first time ever going to Fenway Park. I am a Christian, therefore I am a baseball fan. And even though I'm cheering for the 49ers tonight, I'll argue that baseball is a far more beautiful game, metaphysically speaking. I'm a Cardinal fan, so I was in a weird territory, sitting in the outfield of Fenway Park, such an old, antiquated stadium that the seats face first base, not home plate, so you're sitting cockeyed the whole time. And I was just enchanted by the hostility of Boston fans. They were playing the... Uh, they were playing the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, as they were called in those days, and they chanted almost, almost every inning how terrible they thought the Yankees were. So that was a strange thing. Well, I knew I was an outsider until the last inning, or right in the middle of the last inning. Because there's this tradition at Fenway that is now every game thing. Then it was just getting started. I had a hot dog in my left hand, and my, my buddy pulled me up by the scruff of my collar and put his arm around me. Next thing you know, I feel, I feel like I'm drunk in a bar singing those old Irish drinking songs. We're rocking like this. By the way, I've never been in such a state, so don't worry. So we're standing like this, and there's music that's very familiar, and it comes on, I think, a fellow by the name of Neil Diamond. Sweet Caroline. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. They sang with me. You know, and that's the thing is when we're all singing this song, and it's like a moment, it's a thing, and, it's a, and then you're part of it. Sometimes we sing out of a shared common bond. But have you ever wondered why do we sing human creatures? It's a funny sort of thing, isn't it? But why do we sing at home and why do we sing at church? Like, have you ever thought when we stand, we face one direction, we open a book, and, and we sing to worship? Why, why don't we do something else? Why is it that we sing? Why do you sing in the shower? Why do you have a rock concert in your car? Dr. Don Saliers, professor at Candler, has written a book with his daughter, Emily Saliers. She is of the Indigo Girls fame. And they actually talk about this. They, they talk about how Singing is something that utilizes your entire body. It's not merely a cognitive exercise because it includes the heart. It's effective. It includes your emotions. But it's not just brain and heart. It's, it's got flesh. You see, when you sing, you, you engage your core and your diaphragm and you breathe. And there's rhythm. There's rhythm that goes through your chest. It's about blood and guts. It's just about anything to do with your whole body as it is just your mind. It is an embodied thing. That's why religious people, since the very beginning of religious thought, have sung. There is a response to that which is divine that cannot be met with words alone. They need, it needs our bodies. It needs all of us into the expression of joy and thanksgiving. It needs our blood and sweat and vibrations it needs our vocal cords. It needs our heart. Perhaps that's why the Bible is replete with its own songbook. 
We call it the Psalms. Some of you have enjoyed the Psalms for comfort, and it is a book of great poetry, but let me assure you, it's not mere poetry for the ancient people of God. This was their liturgy book. This was their, their music book. These were songs sung and performed. Oh, and the lyrics are well known. You know some of the lyrics to some of the great songs. The Lord is my shepherd. Better is one day in your courts. One of my favorites. And I love to hear Reverend Bob Tyler cite it at a funeral. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? We sing, my friends, to receive and sometimes to make meaning in our lives. Sometimes that meaning is solace. I'm inspired by a movie, a Will Smith movie, came out a number of years ago called I Am Legend. It's the third time this movie's been made. I think the first one had Vincent Price in it or something. And the whole point is that everyone on planet Earth basically is, uh, is uh, gone from a virus. Those that exist are mostly in some sort of zombie form. Of course, Will Smith's the hero. He's the lone guy on Manhattan Island, and, and, and he's a scientist, and he's, he's researching, trying to figure out how to reverse the ailment to the people. And of course, he's all alone. He watched as his daughter and wife died in a helicopter crash. The only companion he has is a German shepherd, a beautiful dog. And he drives around trying to figure out a solution to the world's problem, and he is lost. And so he sings and he plays a song to create meaning for himself. The song is called Little Birds. Don't worry about a thing, because every little thing is going to be all right. Sorry, I, I sing much better than that, but this is where we are now. I, I've sung that song for solace, have you? I've put that song on before to give me meaning amidst the lostness that I felt. We sing, we sing, we sing because we have to. That's why the slaves sang as they worked in the fields, to give themselves meaning and to communicate secretly. Some of that spirit has found its way into soul music. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. We sing for hope. Sometimes we sing simple things or things for unbridled joy. Happy birthday to you. May old acquaintance be forgot. For he's a jolly good fellow, for he's a jolly good fellow. No one has ever sung that to me. <laughs> when I was in high school, I was in choir all four years. If you were a better singer, you were in the concert choir. That was the main choir. And uh, every Christmas, we had this Christmas concert in our auditorium. And, and, and at the end of the, the the concert. Concert choir is already down there on the risers. All the other choirs stand up and surround the parents. And we sing, Oh Holy Night. It's my favorite Christmas carol. And we begin to pass the light of candles to each other. 
Now on the third stanza, we, we hum and we exit unless you are a senior. Seniors find their way down to the front where the concert choir is. And there when it's, it's all perfectly timed and you hit that last chorus, it's fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angels' voices. I couldn't wait to become a senior and sing that bit. There was something joyful in it to me and prophetic and transcendent in that public school moment. And I got down there, here it was at last, a senior year. I went down, I was in the concert choir, and I said, fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, sometimes our singing is like that. It's at last. At last, what I have to be joyful about is here. And my friends, here's the point. That is why Simeon sings. Simeon is an old gentleman who's worked in the temple. And he's been praying to God, God, you can take me home, but please just let me lay my eyes on your son, the Messiah, the one who's coming in the world to, to do a new thing. Let me just, let me just see it. I don't, I don't have to live for it, God. I just want to see this one. I want to see the shape of my hope and faith. Jesus, Joseph, and Mary are on the way to the temple for purification. He is barely over a month and he's to be presented there. <coughs> it tells us that they make sacrifices of turtle doves and pigeons and things like that. that. That reminds us that the Holy Family was a, fe a peasant family. They didn't have much to offer, but they offered it because they were faithful. And, and so they're there, and Simeon sees Yeshua, the baby Jesus. And he knows. He knows that this is the one who's coming to make wrong things right on behalf of God. He knows that this is the one who is coming to bring a kingdom. He knows that this is the one that will divide people. People will love him or hate him. But he will be the consolation of Israel or comfort to the people who have been otherwise oppressed. This baby that Simeon sees presents to people who are otherwise lost. It, it represents salvation. This one, for people who are otherwise broken, it, it represents wholeness. This person, Jesus, for those who are otherwise confused, is the vision of God made plain in the world. And so he sings. Because sometimes all you can do is sing. Simeon tells us the truth. He shows us the truth that sometimes just saying words isn't quite enough. It doesn't get down into the heart of our whole being. No, we need the instruments. Our, our human instrument needs, needs to be engaged. The whole of it. From the top of your head to the tip of your toes. When you get presented with the divine grace, you can't simply say, thanks, pal. You have to put your whole heart into it. It is a thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Have you forgotten that you've been saved, church? Have you forgotten that someone's making you whole, church? Where is your song, church? I, I know there are some of you who don't like to sing in church because you don't think you're any good at it. That's true. <laughs> but I want to tell you, you should sing. Because we're not singing in church to be performative. You understand that, right? 
It's part of our liturgy, and that's a fancy word that means the work of the people. We actually need your voice, even though it sounds like a coyote in a trash compactor. We need the voice. Because we can't do it alone, you see, friends. We need to link our voices and our instruments and our bodies and our hearts and minds with other people as we are saying to God, thank you for being with us. Thank you for coming into my story. Thank you for making me whole. We're not performing, friends. We are working together to bring the entirety of our bodies and lives before God in gratitude. One of my favorite times of worship was at a church. <clears throat> it was a singing church. It was an acapella church of Christ. So those people know how to sing, five-part harmony. And there was a person there who sounded awful when they sang. And everyone heard them. They started two beats too soon and ended two beats uh, longer than they should. So you always heard them. And he'd lift his head up to the ceiling and he would shout. It really is like a dog howling at the moon. Oh! But you know why he sang like that? Because the truth of his heart was that God had come to make him whole and accepted him, even him, and he was saying with his whole self, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God. And he reminds me of this. When you meet God, sometimes all you can do is sing.